I want to get this word out, and to be honest, and, and I'm not being ugly on myself, when you can learn to tell the truth about yourself without being toxic, you're going to get somewhere. I'm going to say that again. When you can tell the truth about yourself without going drama triangle, then you can get somewhere in life. Second step, if folk can tell you the truth without you going drama. So I say that to say I, I preached way too long last week, and I don't want to keep you all forever, you know. Thank you. I get so excited about God's word, I can't just eat one potato chip. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I just like, Lord, once I start eating the potato chips. But I understand the bottom can only endureth for so longeth. But I want you to take notes today. I really want you to take notes today, if you would, on your phone, sheet of paper, or whatever. Because the word of the Lord is going to come to you right now. And I want you to be note takers every Sunday. I think I've said that a lot and, and, and I want to, I'd rather have 200 people taking notes in disciples than a church filled with churchgoers. My role as I turn toward 50 is to make disciples, not how many people I can get in this building. I want to make the enemy so afraid of you, he doesn't even try to show up in your house and in your marriage. I, I want to help you be discipled. If you, if your pastor, I only know this much about God. Well, don't, don't get discouraged. We, we're all there. We, we all have to grow, and I want you to grow. That's why we've got some exciting news coming up in the next couple weeks. And uh, a week from this Sunday, we're going to announce some new ministries that are coming to Daystar that I'm excited about because we want to have a place where Sunday is not the place you get discipled. You get some discipleship on Sunday, but we want to bring the lost on Sunday. And then we want to have connect groups or areas of ministry where you really get discipled, whether it's youth ministry, college, whether it's a connect group, whether it's a singles ministry, a marriage ministry, or whatever. Amen? So somebody say massive momentum. So we know that the word massive, and they're going to throw some things on the screen if you guys would. Somebody say massive momentum. And I know that's a, two great words and off of the Doug and Tia coming this month and stuff, but I know it's a word for our house right now in your house. The word massive obviously means, and you'll see the definition on the screen, it just means something enormous, something huge, something large. When something, whoa, that thing is massive, okay? We know that the word momentum, check this out for all you physics folks, a property of a moving body that has by virtue of its mass and motion. So let me say mass and motion. How many knows you cannot have momentum without movement? If you're wanting your wife or husband to follow you or your children, you can't follow a parked car. You've got to have movement, and hopefully you're not moving toward the cliff. <laughs> hopefully you're moving in the right direction. And I encourage you to change lanes and to get off the exit because that's God's grace every day. That if, we're all, if we're on the wrong road, we can get off the exit and, and turn around. It's a mass in motion that is equal to the product of the body's mass and velocity. It also means this. The strength a force gained by, here's what I would just say in action, motion, or by a series of events. Please understand that every person in this room has dreams. And if your dreamer is broken, Christy and I want to help you fix it. Because I'm finding a lot of 40-year-olds and up, their dreamer is broken. And if your dreamer is broken, God is the dream fulfiller. Satan is the dream stiller. 
God is the dream fulfiller, Satan is the dream stealer. And that's his goal because you, if you find a person without a dream, you find a person without purpose. You find a person that's existing on the planet, and they don't even care if they die. Then suicidal thoughts and all these things start coming, depression into a person's life. And if I've, if I've ever seen a society more attacked by suicide and depression and anxiety, it's now. Can I get a few amens? So we, as the body of Christ, have got to get focused on the right thing. If you have a dream, listen to this. A dream without a to-do list is a wish list. A dream without a to-do list is a wish list. A lot of visionaries, great visionaries, have high goals from God. But can I tell you, you won't get there without action steps. Your goal, at least your A goal or your B goal, and then there are C goals, which your C goal is like, you don't even know how that could ever happen. I've got, if you don't have a C level goal, you're not dreaming enough. A goals are things that you can do without even thinking. B goals, B goals are things that you don't do, but you know, I could do that. A C goal, only with God can happen. So if you don't have C goals in your life, maybe starting a business, moving from being a slave and working for a master to being the owner. Those C-level goals. Massive momentum operating in our life every single day. It's God's desire for you to have that. But if you have a dream, a goal, Please don't be presumptuous. There's a difference between faith and presumption. Big difference. Some people like, you know what? I'm going to have a five-bedroom house one day. Well, how about let's just get a two-bedroom first? Well, Pastor, I dream big. Yes, I want you to dream big. Somebody's dream- a lot of people's dreams are too small. I know this, the Word of God says, delight yourself in the Lord, help me finish it, and He will give you what? The desires of His heart, right? No, His heart, your heart. If you're a real daddy, you're not looking for your kids to do your dream. You want to give your kids the desires of their heart, but let's back up, if they've been obedient. There's no way around it, even in the world. Let's forget God and spirituality. You're not going to accomplish things if you're not walking in obedience. Try walking, not walking in obedience on your job and see how that works out. So obedience at every level brings the blessings of God. My greatest desire is I prayed for you this week is that every person in this room, your momentum comes so fast in God. When it gives the definition of momentum, the first definition, if you would, we are the body mass of God because we are the body of Christ. So guess what? I'm part of God's weight. The word kabod in the Hebrew means the weight of God, the weightiness of God. 
Have you ever been in God's presence where it was like a, the weight of God was in there? The, it means the glory. Glory is not gold dust and feathers. New Testament says Jesus, the hope of glory. So glory is in you and me. Understand. I'm not the treasure. I'm the earthen vessel. Let's not mess that up. Let's understand that if we're not careful, even motivational speakers and people in the world, they're wanting to be the, the, the creator and not the creature. Let me just make it clear. God is the creator. We are the creature. He, I, I am the little king. He is the big king, so he's the king of this little king. And for if your desires and dreams and for you to find momentum, you've got to understand that you are God's movement in the earth. You are God's momentum. Everywhere you walk, I believe hell backs up when you are filled with God's glory. Jesus. Jesus, the word in a, in, inside of you. Massive momentum for every believer is available. Not as the world gives. But God's presence and power in your life. Bringing momentum Every single day. We know that the two legs, or let me read this, a, mon, a, a massive momentum life, check this out on the screen. You may want to take a picture because I'm going to fly through this because I just want to recap. Is a life that is pursuing optimum in spirit, soul, and body. Somebody say spirit, soul, body. That's, that's what you're made of. The, the real you is a spirit who lives in a body and possesses a soul. I'm going to say that again. The real you is a spirit who lives in a body and who possesses a soul. If we put on spiritual goggles, the real you is your spirit. Is this making sense? God wants us to be at optimal level. Spirit, soul, and body. Because you know why I desire that too for you? It's because you will change the world. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. And when you're living at optimal level, your spirit man, you're on fire for God. Your prayer life, come on. Your word life. You, you, then you, your soul life, which is your emotional intelligence. And you don't get mad at every person that pulls out in front of you. Because your soul is down here. You're a Christian on your way to heaven, but you get mad every time something happens. That means your soul, when we sing, it is well with my soul, for a lot of folk, it is not well. You've got to be able to tell the truth, my soul is not well. I may need to go receive some counsel and some healing because of what happened to me when I was a child, because I'm still living with that, that I may be, my spirit is fine, but my spirit is held up because of my soul. Then you get your body in line. And you become a threat to hell. A massive momentum life. A massive life in spirit action. There's two legs to cause momentum. If I'm going to have momentum in my life, if I'm going to run, could you imagine me running with one leg? I couldn't run. So there's two legs. And those two legs that operate in our life to find momentum are steward is stewardship and generosity. 
And for years, the church has focused on generosity. I've been there. My dad was a pastor. I've been a pastor, been ministry for 30 years, a pastor coming up in a couple weeks, 15 years being a lead pastor. And I've been trying to break poverty in my life. Anybody else? And so we've always focused, be generous, give, 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 give. But we got a problem, Houston. How can we give what we don't have? So first things first is until you steward your life, your generosity will actually mess you up because you will pay your tithe or give somebody $100 because you were moved to, but now you can't pay your light bill. So a couple weeks ago, the Lord moved in my heart before I came to give a single mom just $100 out of my own pocket from Christy and I. And some of you were here for that because God spoke to my heart and spoke to me why giving it to her. And, 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 and she sent me pictures of how she stewarded the money with her kids and all that. Because some folks just don't know how to do it because their mom and dad never taught them. I'm having so many people inbox me and say, Pastor, this series is changing me because my mom and dad didn't teach me those little things in life like wiping up around the sink or around the toilet how to be clean, how to take care of what I have. Can I get a witness from somebody? And God can't bless a crummy spirit. You know, those folks that bring their baby to eat at the restaurant and leave the floor nasty, and they don't get underneath the chair and clean it up for the waitress because they go, that's their job, where you have a crummy spirit. Because my wife used to get under the table every time we ate at a restaurant when there was food all over the floor and we would clean it up. We wouldn't leave it for the wait. And some people just haven't learned that. It's not even that they don't want to clean up under their baby's chair, the high chair. They just wasn't taught that that's the right thing to do. I think the church needs to back up and really train young men to be men. Come on, gentlemen. And young ladies, what it means to be a young lady. A young woman of God. How to dress for success. Young men don't even know how to tie a tie. Come on. So you got to have stewardship and generosity if you're going to get some momentum in life. If one leg is broken, you're not going to get momentum. And that's why my heart is so strong. Last week, we talked about momentum life requires a change in mindset. Or first of all, it's more than a budget. And check this out on the screen because I'm going to fly through. Stewardship is being faithful with what you've been given. How can God give you a new Toyota if you don't take care of an old one? Now, how many still learning this? If somebody opens your car and McDonald's cups falls out. There's a whole lot. Let me just free somebody. How many is guilty of doing stuff like that? Okay. But the thing is, you don't go to the drama triangle about it. I'm so stupid. I'm just horrible. No, stop it. Learn to receive truth without getting toxic. If I can't tell you the truth without you going victim, villain, hero mentality, then you can never grow. Because that also means if you're married, your husband or wife can't ever tell you the truth without you pouting, getting offended, and getting upset. If you can't receive truth, come on, 
I'm talking to an army on Independence Day. If I, as a general, can't tell you the truth, I'll do it in love, but truth is still truth. Because I got to tell you the truth because the truth will set you free. If I love you, I'm going to tell you you're about to walk off a cliff. If I only care about myself, then I'm going to let you walk off a cliff. And I'm probably going to be there somewhere like some folk going, I told you so. Some folks throwing a party as you're walking off. So be faithful what you get. Next one. Stewardship is also stewarding people. Starting with yourself. Do you take care of you? Spiritually. Are you getting up and spending time with God in the morning? I don't care if it's 10 minutes. Don't go to the gym and try to do an hour on January 1st or 2nd. When you've never been doing, you know, if you've never been on an elliptical or treadmill, please don't go and try to do an hour on January 2nd because that's going to last a couple days and then we're going to see you in McDonald's getting a biscuit on the third day. Come on, somebody. No. Man, come on. Start somewhere. Stewarding your wife. Men, we're called to steward our, our wives. Not control. Not manipulate. We're called, we're called to champion her. Because women are powerful. Very powerful. Wives helping to steward your husband, and that means more than washing his underwear. By the way, in the house, there shouldn't be just gender-specific roles. You know, the woman always washes the clothes. The woman always does this. No, we got to get away from gender-specific roles in the home when it comes to taking care of it. Mic drop. All right, next one. We got to learn to steward our body and, and become healthy in every way. Every way. Let's get some help with that EI. Because I'd rather honestly have people that have um, a better EQ than an IQ. Let's say that again. I'd rather be around people that have a better EQ than an IQ. I can handle some folks that graduated from County High. You said, that's pretty mean. No, I graduated from County High. I'm joking. I'd rather have somebody that their light bulb may not all be the brightest, but they know how to control themselves. Emotional intelligence versus intelligence. I'd rather have an emotional intelligence in a marriage and be able to control yourself by the Spirit of God than the smartest person who can never control their temper. Right? And can I get some amens? Next one. Here we go. I got I to move. Being family-oriented. Let's steward our family. Let's cut off the stupid TV and Netflix and all that crazy nonsense that has become a lover of pleasure more than lovers of our family. Those shows don't do anything for you. And then you say, I don't have time. No, you do have time. It's what you do with your time. And I figured out if I'm going to go somewhere in life and be all God's created to me, I've got I've to quit doing the things that don't bring value. Next one. Steward your faith. And we're all about that. Stewarding your faith. Taking care of yourself. Pastor Tanner, I love him. I will ne the one thing that I love about him is he teaches our students and people to have devotional consistency. My wife said to me, here's the problem. P people are not, she said this week to me, Scott, people are not consistently consistent. 
And we need to steward our faith. Last week we talked about that a massive momentum life requires a mindset change. We talked about the two ditches that people fall in, in the church especially, and that's the poverty mindset or a materialism possession mindset. I don't have time to go there. You just have to go listen to the message, but both are ruled by one spirit. It's called a spirit of mammon. God says you're not going to serve God and mammon. Mammon is a spirit. The same spirit works in a poverty mindset. Asceticism is, is usually in a poverty mindset in the church that, that if I prove to God that the, the more poor I am and, and the more, if I, don't, if I give up things, and I've seen this so many times where, where Christians bash pastors who have a big home or, or ministers and they have no clue that they're giving thousands and millions away from their own personal life. Can I just tell you, a dollar does not have a spirit. A house does not carry a spirit inherently. A Mercedes does not carry a spirit. It's the spirit on the person by which the possession, in which, who, is, who possesses that car. One person can wear a flashy suit and be the most humble person. The next person wear the same suit that the, 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 the same suit that's flashy, and you will never think they're prideful because it's not the suit that makes them prideful. It's the spirit in the man. So possessions don't carry a spirit. A dollar bill does not have a spirit. And these are the lies of the poverty spirit. Or the materialism spirit, the prosperity gospel. And it's a shame that I even have to use those words because it's so messed up for me to have to say that. Because I believe the gospel it will prosper you in every way. But the prosperity gospel is a lust for things, the lust of the lies, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. It talks about in the Word of God. So materialism spirit is I get my value through this, and I get my value by everybody seeing me in my Mercedes, and I get my value by my clothes, and I get my value in this, and, 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 and this thing that we portray in social media. And there's always a lust for more. It will cause you to buy something when you don't even have the money. I've been there and done that. When we first got married 28 years ago, we bought a car that we should have never bought. And we learned our lesson because whatever you do in the flesh, you got to pay for in the flesh. So it's good as a young person to learn. If that 10-year-old car is driving and you don't have a payment, drive that thing, baby. Drive it till she says, I give up. Well, what are people going to think? I'd rather, I don't care what people think. My car's 12 years old. I'm going to keep driving that thing because the Holy Spirit is telling me to. And I, and I know the time is coming. But you know what? I have learned my lesson by buying things too quick. By buying a big house that I didn't, couldn't even afford. Come on, somebody. By buying this or buying that when God didn't ever say do that. And nowadays you can get whatever you really want. Because we can work some stuff out. Which co-signing is not of God. The Bible talks about that. Come on, so I've got to, I, see, I see some wheels turning in here. Um, today, I want to talk about first things first in a massive momentum life. Listen to this story from, actually, Pastor Olimpo um, to, uh, sent this story to us. And he's our associate pastor next door right now with our Daystar Espanol. Here's his story. It was the last day that I was able to, I worked at the University of Alabama because my work permit had expired. His work permit in the United States. 
and also it was my last paycheck. So while I was checking my bank account and to find out how much I had been paid, and then I gave my tithe, I started thinking about that maybe it was not convenient me for me to give my tithe because I didn't know how long it would take for my work permit to arrive, and I thought I was going to need the mo- that money. But I gave my tithe anyway. So I spent some time thinking about giving the tithe or not. After a time of thinking about it, God told me, believe in me. And he says, these are Olympo's words. He said, so I closed my eyes and prayed. God, I trust you, and I know that you will not leave me. And then I gave my tithe. Two hours after my boss called me, two hours later, my boss called me and told me, Olympo, officially you cannot work for the University of Alabama anymore because your work permit has expired. But after that, my boss told me, but do not worry because I have several friends who need you. And he mentioned many that needed help on their house. And there were so many people that he mentioned that I started to think. And now I'm going to finish so much work. This is too much. The craziest thing is the same day that I went to the USSIS, which is immigration website, to check the status of my permit, I saw that it was now approved. A question of priorities. First things first. Somebody say first things first. Can I just say it's remarkable when we trust God? It's like an understatement to me. It's remarkable when we put God first. I so believe in the law of the first. When I realize that I'm a steward in everything, and I'm not talking about finance. I'm talking about not just finance. I'm talking about everything. God is the owner, right? Does God own all of you? Yes. And I say that with all of my heart, whether I'm a pastor or not, way before. God, this belongs to God. All of it. Everything that we are is for his glory. And it's a question of our priorities. It's a question of first things first. Stephen Covey, who one of his books in 1995, wrote a book titled First Things First. If you haven't got it, read it. I love Stephen Covey's things. It's on time management. He offered advice and strategies for settling pri- setting priorities in our life. Covey talks about setting priorities and that not everything that seems urgent is really as urgent as it seems. Listen closely now, please. And not everything that is genuinely important feels urgent in the mo- moment. He pointed out that often the most important things of all don't shout with urgency. He pointed out that often the most important things of all don't shout with urgency. He pointed out that in our tyranny of, ur- urge of the urgent, we can end up constantly rushing from crisis to crisis, fire to fire, and never addressing the non-urgent but vi- vitally important things that will actually contribute to long-term success. Boy, can I relate. I can so relate with just doing life like a hamster because of kids, life, that I literally feel like I am a hamster on the wheel every day. And when you get caught on that wheel, you end up thinking what is important. You end up what, taking what is not important and actually giving it your time. The things that don't give you value. And many times the things that we're missing are the things that are valuable that we're not spending time with. Like for me, I would rather make this amount of money and spend time with my family than make all this money and never see my family. 
Can I get a witness? So sometimes we got to look at stewarding our priorities. First things first in our life that are most valuable. This is why God spoke to Israel, first of all, and said in Exodus 20, verse 3, write that down. He wrote them, and, and we think that the Ten Commandments was for the Old Testament. No, God was giving priorities that are just as much for today. And it says, you must not have any other God but me. Somebody say, first things first. Somebody say, God first. We say that as believers. Scott says that. But we really have to check, is God the owner? Is he first? Does he get first in my life? Does he get the first of my day? Does he get the first of my thoughts? Or does Facebook? Come on. Don't say that to condemn you. I'm, I'm saying sometimes we need, like a chiropractor does, if you don't go to a chiropractor and get adjustments, you'll end up having to have surgery. Where's all my chiropractors at? Yeah. Sometimes we need an adjustment or alignment. But I tell you what, the longer you go without an adjustment and go into a chiropractor, you're pro it's probably going to end up needing surgery. So allowing God to adjust us without going toxic, without sitting there going, oh, that's me. Oh, you stupid, rotten thing. No. Change. Isn't that a beautiful word? Isn't change a beautiful word? To be able to recognize, hmm, I could do better at that without me going toxic. Without me even going victim. Which I can't do it. You don't know where I've been. You don't know how I was raised. Yeah, I was born like that. That's the big excuse. Or I'm this way, or I'm that way. Even people, when they get ready to lose weight, I'm big-boned. <laughs> Go study it. There is no such thing as big-boned people. It's like that much of a bigger bone. Go study it. I study health all the time. And so many times we take excuses and we use them that really we need to let, turn and tell somebody, no excuses. When you go into the University of Alabama athletic facility, the Malmore facility, on the wall there is a big sign that says no excuses. If you're going to have massive momentum, you've got to quit lying to yourself. I need some amens. God is a God that wants to be first. This is not just to the children of Israel in Old Testament. This is to us. John said it in his words, his last words in 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. Check it out on the screen. Write this scripture down. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Now, I know this message. There's a way to be convicted by the Holy Spirit and not blame it on condemnation. Because this new generation calls conviction condemnation. Or they have this new thing they do, don't judge me. And according to the Word of God, we are to judge you. Did you know that? That whole ju don't judge me is wrong. In the Word of God, you are to judge believers, not unbelievers. It clearly says do not judge an unbeliever. But if you, if you say I am a C... I am a C-H, I am a C-H-R-I-S-E-I. If you are a Christian, then I need you to help me, and you need my help. Now, I'm not talking about going around being a fruit inspector. 
so you can post about it and tell everybody and gossip. But I need somebody, if I'm about to walk off this stage, I would hope somebody going to jump up and, and not go, <laughs> act like I didn't see it. Because you'll reap what you sow. Listen to this. Sometimes, this is not on the screen, so you may want to grab this and write this down. Sometimes good things can be bad things if they keep us from the best thing. I'm going to say that again. It's not on the screen. I didn't give this to them. Sometimes good things can become bad things if they keep us from the best thing. You understand that sin is not necessarily cheating and lying and all that. The definition of iniquity and transgression is simply disobedience. So I could sin and it not be a sin for you. Explain. If God told Scott, clearly, go left. And I choose, no, I'm going right. I just sinned. Sin is simply disobedience to God's word. So it's, it's not a sin to go left. It's not a sin to go right. It becomes a sin when I decide to disobey God's word. So if God tells you to stop doing something, hey, Scott, you're watching way too much ESPN. And I'm telling you to quit and start spending time with your children. Did you know if I ignore that word, it is a sin? It's mighty quiet right now. It's mighty quiet. It's mighty quiet. Hit somebody and say, he's telling the truth. Tell the person beside you, you better get it right today. Somebody say, first things first. So let me say it again. Sometimes good things can become, say it with me if you wrote it down. Sometimes good things can become bad things if they keep us from the, if my sports addiction is keeping me from loving my wife, I am in sin. If my golfing addiction if me going to Biloxi to pull some slots. I can only speak, you know, for some, not for me. I hadn't pulled any slots. But if Jesus wants to give the building payment, that'd be great. And that'd be awesome. Bro. Just make sure you tithe off of it. Don't get religious on me. So how can you know if you're putting God first or not? How can you know if you're worshiping a false God? Or you've made something an idol in your life, because idol is real. Here it is, and it's very simple. Listen to these few things. They're not on the screen, but I need you to grab them or go back and listen to it. Whatever you worship is whatever provides your sense of identity. Whatever you worship is whatever provides your sin. If you get your identity through clothes, hairstyle, jewelry, football, sports, 
weightlifting, taking pictures of yourself in the mirror. If you get your identity by how you perform, that is what you worship. Here's another one. What you worship is what you give your sense of security. It's what gives you a sense of security. What you worship is what gives you a sense of security. If you worship money, you find security in that money. So when the money isn't there, you freak. I got to keep moving. Here's another one. What you worship is where you run in a time of trouble. This can even be food. I used to run to food as my refuge. Food was my refuge. I could put a double cheeseburger from Sonic, a foot-long chili cheese dog. Y'all better say something on here. A large fry, a large Mountain Dew, and then I had to add me a Reese's peanut butter cup blizzard or whatever they're called y'all better hear what I'm saying because it was a lie to my flesh and my flesh ruled my spirit and if you're ruled by that you'll end up running to those things to give you fulfillment it could even be somebody saying you did a great job and then you live off of people's accolades but what happens when they stop telling you? What happens when you're no longer the top movie star in Hollywood and you've gotten old and some of the younger Hollywood stars have taken your place, but your identity has been being in the number one movies, but now they ain't calling anymore? What happened when everybody wanted you, but now they're not calling you? Help me, somebody. What you worship, here's another one, you're most prone to give your time and attention to. Whatever you're worshiping, the idol in your life, I promise you, that's where your time is going. And it's probably where your money's going. Because wherever your heart is, your treasure will be. And wherever your treasure is, your heart will be is actually the correct you, wanna, you want your heart to be for something godly? Put your money there and your heart follows your treasure because that's the word of God. Is anybody getting something out of this? Somebody say, God must be first. You know why? Because he is first. <laughs> he was first. You do realize he was here before you. You do realize he owns it all. You do realize this is his house. I was outside the other day. It was like 100 degrees. I said, God, you can turn the temperature down in your house. It is hot up in here. And you do realize that the tabernacle, New Testament, now dwells in us. We are the tabernacle of the Lord. Jesus abides in us. There is a treasure in this vessel. A massive momentum life is keeping first things first priorities. Number two, it's honoring God as first by bringing him the first. And I don't speak on this, but maybe once or twice a year. But I no longer am afraid to speak on it. Because God is breaking poverty in my life. The first fruits offering was an offering at harvest time in which farmers in the Old Testament would bring the priest in the Old Testament their very first crops. 
It's mentioned in Exodus 23 and Exodus 34. God establishes the first fruits. I literally have people walk up to me at times and say, Pastor, here's my first fruits offering. Even outside of their tithe. Exodus 34 says this, the first of the first fruits. Do you see that first part? The first of the first fruits of thy land that shall bring into the house of the Lord. Now, we know that nowadays farmers don't pay tithe or give with crops. Now, when I lived in South Alabama as a little boy, farmers would bring us corn because they didn't have any money at that point. But for the most part, we know that farmers even now are given finances, and, and our tithe is to be in money. There's even been a delusional teaching in the church that says, if I serve as an usher, that's my tithe. No, that's not. Or if I serve in children's ministry, that's my tithe. No, it's not. Or if I support T.D. Jakes or Joyce Meyer, no, that's not. I support several ministries, and I've supported them since I barely had any money. That is an offering. The Bible says you bring your tithe to the church, to the storehouse. I support several ministries. Those are offerings. Offerings are your choice. Tithe is not. You don't give your tithe. You pay it. Thank y'all for saying amen. Y'all the ones doing it. No, I'm not here to make you feel bad because it's like the drama triangle again. If you're not, obey God. Because maybe you're living in a house without a roof. Because tithing puts a roof on your house. My daddy used to say, how can you trust God with your salvation if you don't trust him with your wallet? And trust me, the more money you make, it gets harder. Like if somebody makes $500,000 a year now, to give that $50,000? But if you could see, you're half a million, he wants to turn to a million. Not for your glory. But money answers all. What you talking about? That's in the Bible, Proverbs. Ecclesiastes? Sorry about that, misquoting that. Thank you, McCondy, for keeping me straight. It's in Ecclesiastes. Do you know the, the address? Ecclesiastes 10 something. We'll say 7 because that's God's number. Says money answers all. The problem is we've seen these prosperity preachers and people get up and show off their Rolex. I am so done with that. I can't handle a braggadocious, prideful, arrogant preacher or Christian anymore. You're going to talk about that while you got a single mom living off of $300 a month. Okay? Stop your nonsense. Help that single mom. Come on, Daystar. Help people around you. What you think is God's best may not be his best. You may have a lot of money in the bank account, but imagine what God could do if you gave it to him. I did say that all that we are is his. I gave that $100 to that single mom, and I'm only telling you this because the Lord put it in my heart to tell it. I gave that $100 to that single mom. It really wasn't much of a sacrifice for me. Because God has been really healing my finances. Because I believe people ought to have multiple streams of wealth.
Somebody comes up last week, and I'm going to see if they're here. I don't think they are because I didn't want to get in trouble with you. I knew they would know my heart. Somebody walks up to me last week, two weeks later, and says, take this. And I went, okay. They said, I now am supposed to give you that $100 back, Pastor. And I, I kissed him on the cheek, and it was, a, it was a gentleman. I said, thank you. Cool. I put it in my pocket. The next morning, I took it out at $100. Talked to Christy about it. I said, what a blessing, this $100. It came back to us. I put it in my pocket, and I had uh, some counseling I did on Tuesday. Uh, I believe it was Tuesday or Monday. I can't remember which day last week. And I was counseling a bunch of counseling, and I sat with, uh, it was Monday. I sat with a couple late in the evening, and I'm sitting there, and this couple almost has nothing. And God is trying to heal their marriage. And they're living apart, and we think we're, we're moving back together. And I was counseling them on how God is a healer. That God can heal the worst broken marriage if you'll let him and listen to counsel. And I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm a mom and dad in their life, and I'm asking them, so how much do y'all make? If I can be nosy for a minute, because I really love helping younger couples budget. I really love helping them, you know, you know, let me be a dad for a minute. I remember a time I had to take my budget to my pastor and show him, and he was able to go, and this was many, many years ago, and he said, well, what is this, and what's this interest right here? What are you doing? And, and sometimes we, we're so prideful we don't get help. We all need help because if we're not stewarding, we can be generous all day long, but how can you give something away you really have no business giving away? So that man handed me $100. I'm sitting in the office, and, it's, and I had forgot I had stuck the $100 in my pocket when I left for the church that day last week. And the Holy Spirit said to me, clear as the day, that $100 in your pocket, give them what's in your pocket. And that's all I had. Well, I didn't bat an eye. At the end of the session, I said, I just want to give this, y'all. Do me a favor. Y'all go have a romantic dinner. Whatever you want. I said, now, be a good steward. You ain't got to go to a $100 meal. Let's start stewarding our money now. If there's a meal that you can get for this amount of money, then take it and then steward and go buy some toilet paper and tissue or whatever. Steward this. And they looked at me and said, well, first thing we're going to do is tithe. And I went, well, that's your decision. I will say it belongs to the Lord. That whole $100 belongs to God, not even to Scott. My point is, if I had not been stewarding my life, when God told me that, I'd be like, that's the devil. Because I need that $100 just to make it right now. But because I'm learning to steward my life, and y'all, we have come through a lot of debt, and we still got a lot of debt we're paying off because we've made stupid decisions. I'm sorry, but helping people. I bought a house for a lady that is still in North Carolina, that I paid over $100,000, that it was only $50,000 because her daddy died of cancer, and she begged me to buy her house and to sign for it, and I did. This is 20-something years ago, and I went back to visit the house, and it's a double-wide trailer on a piece of trash swamp land, but I own it. I paid it off last year. I don't know who in the world going to buy it, but we're going to do something with it. 
and the house was only 57000 I paid over 100 for it. I even went to court about it in a very loving way with the lady, and the judge ruled, and she still didn't do that. I had people living 15 years in that house. Most of those years lived there. I didn't even know who it was that didn't even make a payment. When you learn to steward, now I would go back and do a lot of things different because whatever's good may not be God. And I've learned to steward my life at least a little bit better. But I would have never been able to pull that $100 out and give it to that couple if I had not positioned myself for generosity because of stewardship. Are are you getting my point? And then most of all, that $100 wasn't mine anyways. God trusted me with that $100. And I'll tell you, after I did that, and I'm just talking from my heart, God said, now watch what I'll do. Because you simply obeyed me. Somebody say first things first. What about the first fruits of our finances? They belong to God. The spirit of mammon wants to attach itself to you. Will you care more about buying this than even giving your tithe? Help me, somebody. And then the devil gets all up in it about the church because we've seen charlatans in the church and buy a miracle spring water for $50 and pay your tithe, pay your tithe, pay your tithe. And that's really messed up. Tithing is an issue of the heart. Tithing will test you and it will test your heart. And I'm not talking about tithing off the net. I'm talking the gross. But don't let the preacher fool you. If you get a return, you've already paid tithe on that. If you get a tax return, you've already paid tithe on that. Now, if you want to give an offering, you can give an offering. Am I helping anybody? Proverbs 3 says, Honor the Lord with all thy substance and with the first fruits of thine increase. What is a tithe? One-tenth. If, if I'm given $100 or paid $100 for my sweat of what I do, it's still God's because it's all his. I give, it, I give $10 to God. But you know what happens when you give $10 to God? The other 90 is consecrated and multiplied. Tithing comes against logic. How do I give somebody $10 out of my 100 and have more? It's the same way faith when I have salvation. How do I believe that, that God came to earth and his son and saved me? Everything's faith. Today, if you got a $300 paycheck on Friday, $30, it's not your money. I'm talking to believers. All of that money belongs to God. He could have asked for 90 I'm almost done. I'm hurrying. I'm hurrying. God is not really interested in your money. He's interested in your heart. Everything belongs to him. Your apartment. Your house. Tithing isn't legalism. It's life. It's spiritual life. The stewardship practice of faithfully tithing is neither for him nor about you. It's actually about you. God's not needing your money. It's not your money. God is not insecure. God is not demanding your tithe. 
why would a God who owns everything ask for 10% of your income each pay period? It's because he's not interested in your money. He's interested in your heart. Tithing is a principle of putting God first. Giving him what belongs to him. Here's a question. Would you rather have 100% of your income with no blessing on it or 90% of your income with God's wholehearted blessing on it? I know that those that tithe, it's a no-brainer. It's B. I've tithed since I was a little boy. What could we do in Tuscaloosa? What could we do with the gospel being spread? Here's a big question. You won't see it on the screen. God put it in my heart this week. Are you partnering with the creator to create the massive momentum life? He is the CEO of my life. Are you partnering with the creator to create a massive? You know, God needs our cooperation. Well, pastor, you've always had money. Baby, no, I didn't. I lived in New York City making $75 a week. I got married with $300 a week. I have learned to trust him from Wood Village right over here. Anybody know where Wood Village is? That's where the Shastline House started. But I've learned if I give him my 13 by 27 trailer, he'll give me space to bring more people in to preach the gospel and to love them. The principles all through the word of God. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth. In Genesis, it's clear. Genesis 4, 3 and 4, if you want to write it down. When it was time for harvest, Cain presented one thing, and God received one because it was received from the heart, and it was God's. The, the principle of first is Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. I close with this story. One of my favorite stories is in 1 Kings 17. The prophet Elijah, listen to this. The prophet Elijah was, um, and I won't go through the scriptures. I'm going to basically, I may, I may show you the next step. Elijah, God has been providing, is a big time uh, famine in the land. There's no food and water. Elijah is living beside a brook, a stream. And birds, ravens are coming and feeding the prophet. Okay, this is not a Disney movie. This is real. Birds are coming and feeding him food every day, and his water comes from the brook. The brook then drives up, and the ravens stop coming. Elijah doesn't go toxic. He actually has high emotional intelligence and trust with God and goes, oh, there must be something greater. Many times when the brook drives us for us on our job, we go, oh, my gosh. No, there's a way to know that God is in control right here. So the prophet gets up, and God says, I'm sending you to a wood widow in the city of Zarephath. And that widow is going to provide for you. Widow. Her, her husband, many say he was actually one of the prophets when you study it out. So he goes in the city and he walks into the city gate and there's this woman. Check it out right here. That's gathering sticks. And he goes, I'm going to go find out if she's the person. Well, she is. She's a widow. The prophet goes up to the woman and says, hey, woman, would you get me a cup of water? To a widow woman. We're in the middle of a drought. There's not much water. But he asked for a cup from this widow woman. She turns around and goes, sure. 
She leaves and go gets the water. And he says, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. By the way, while you're at it, bring me a piece of bread. That's what he does. And she's like, bring you a piece of bread. Her response is, verse 12, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't even have a single piece of bread in my house. And you're asking for water and bread and we're in the middle of a famine. And I have only a handful of flour. This is that victim mentality. This is that poverty spirit. I only have a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering. Watch this. Watch where she's at mentally. I'm gathering a few sticks to cook my first 12. If you put that up, I'm gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal. And then my son and I are going to die. Where's Dr. Phil? This woman is saying she's a widow. Her husband just died. All she has is a son. This prophet says, would you bring me uh, some, some bread? It's in the middle of a famine. And bring me some water. And so she explodes like, really? All I have is a little bit of oil and flour in my house, and you're going to ask me to bring you some bread and water? Look, I'm about to cook my last meal, and we dying. Now, this was a depression suicide spirit. As I begin to pray on this to say, Elijah interrupted her and said this, verse 13. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. I love that. Because if you're going to give, you can't do it. Don't be afraid. Today, when you give at the end of this message, your tithe, do not be afraid to obey God. Go ahead and do what you've said and make a little bread for me what? Will you put that up there, verse 13? First. Give me that bread first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and son. Then provide for your family. For this is what the Lord God of Israel says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord brings the rain. Did you know it didn't rain for three and a half years and the woman never ran out of oil and flour? The widow stepped out on faith and gave what was God's first. And God supplied a miracle because she gave what belonged to God. Climb in this woman's shoes. She's broke. How dare God? Why didn't God just go find a rich man? Because the miracle was not for Elijah. God was not, in, not wanting to provide for Elijah. God was wanting to provide for the widow. And I, I go through this so many times when I start teaching on this. And I'll just be honest, because of poverty in Alabama, and I promise you, I, I, I understand. And I go this where I see people's eyes get real big and go, man, I can't believe he wants me to tithe. Does he know I live off of $150 a week? No, I don't. And if I do, I'm still going to tell you. Because the $150, it's God's. I've been there with $75 a week. And $7.50 went to God. The point of this whole story was not that God was wanting her to give to the church. Elijah. And we've got to have a shift in our brain and even the heart of your pastor. If you can't trust your pastor, don't go here. If you think your pastor is about getting money, you're in the wrong place. 
whether whoever is wrong or right, because I will answer to him. God isn't trying to get money for the church, although it blesses the church and helps us accomplish the mission. God's trying to provide for the widow. And because she gave God, she could have went, I'm sick of the church, wanting my money. Don't they know all I got is a little bit of flour and oil? And then we listen to people out in the world that really pile on on that. No, listen, if you have $10 that you made by selling a T-shirt, a dollar of it's God's. All of it's God's. He only asked for $1 back. God is first. He said, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, Malachi 3. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, not to Joyce Meyer, not to T.D. Jakes. I give to John Bevere. I give to other ministries. The money, that, that's an offering from Scott. The tithe belongs right here. If this is your home church, the tithe belongs in this house, and it may be keeping us from even providing for our own kids. It's mighty quiet in this. He said, bring all the tithe so that I can rebuke the devourer. If God showed up and said, I am going to rebuke the enemy in every area of your life. If you will trust me and give 10% of your paycheck to me, would you take him up on the deal? Yes, you would if you really believe it, if it wasn't a church scheme. And all those that are all over the Internet talking about tithing as Old Testament, they selfish. I just don't even deal with those folk. Because I never put myself in a position, whether it's evangelism or apologetics, trying to convince somebody. I want them to convince me how I'm wrong. That's two different ways of apologetics. I never approach trying to convince somebody. They need to try to convince me why what I believe is wrong. And according to God's word, I believe his word. So here, here it is. Have you received this word? I got my tithe check. And y'all know I don't ever do hold up something like this. This does not belong to me. And that's why I'm blessed. And I've only just begun to see God's blessings. Not just that, but the covering over my children when they act a fool. Because your kids will act a fool. But the Bible says, as I give, he'll slap the enemy from my kid's life. This is not a church thing. This is not a legalism thing. If you think the church wants your money, hold on to it. God, as I close Massive Momentum today, I need you to listen very closely to my words. God is not the author of confusion. He is the God of order. God cannot bless mess. I need you to listen because God convicted me with these words. I need you to listen, please. God is a God of order. He cannot bless chaos. He is an organized God. He cannot bless chaos. He cannot bless something that is out of order. Before God can bless something, before God can open the windows of heaven, I believe, because it's his, 
He has a checklist to make sure you can even handle the blessing you're asking for. Some of you want God's blessings. You want huge blessings on your life. But if God were to answer your prayer and send it to you, you wouldn't even know what to do with it. Because if your life is not in order at this level, if he sends this to you, it will destroy you. If God sent some of you your prayers, would you handle it? Would, first of all, would you give him glory? Would you be able to give him praise? Would you give him the tithe? Because if you can't give him tithe off $100, he who is faithful in little will be rewarded with much. The problem is when some of y'all think $300,000 is much and you're satisfied and you don't tithe. But God is wanting to turn your 300,000, no joke, into 3 million. Just like he's wanting to take $300 and make it 3,000. Or whatever you need, a covering in your life. God will not send you a blessing if it will destroy your future. So before he blesses, he's got to bring order. And that is what massive momentum is all about. This series is not, you just got whether you know, you know my heart or not, this series is before, it's because I, as your pastor, am for you. You're starting that new, men, you're starting that new business for men. This boy, this man looks incredible, doesn't he? Okay. So he finally launched out from Massive Momentum because he's starting a new line called Gentlemen to be able to help men how to dress. Check his shoes out. Deshaun is a man of God. He pastors all around this city, and he just launched it yesterday. And you know how proud that makes me? Because that's called momentum. This whole series is about you. God, God sending Elijah to that widow was not for that widow to give her last bit of flour and oil because God's like, I'm sorry, that's mine. God wasn't trying to get something to the prophet. He was trying to get something to the widow. When we start having order in our life, we're not only dressing for success, this man is a pastor and a man of God across this city on a football team. He's one of the best coaches in Tuscaloosa right here. One of the best coaches. He's one of the best daddies. Massive momentum. Good game. It's all about you obeying God so that you move from being a settler to a walker to a runner. I want to see you run in your life. So I'm going to do this before we do something. I want ushers to come, and they didn't know I was going to do this. And I actually want you to bring the offering buckets to the front. And for you that are guests, I just hope you know my heart. I don't never do this. But it's time to break poverty. It's your responsibility to tithe and to give God what is his. And here's what I want to do. I don't want anybody to have to come up to a man or a woman. I want you to place the bucket along the stage. The Bible says bring all your tithe into the storehouse. And so this morning I'm going to pray over your tithe or offering. 
Y'all can go on down. Y'all can go. I don't even want it between y'all. Y'all, we'll, we'll get the buckets later. Thank y'all. Give it up for our ushers. Because what I want you to do, you, your wife, or if you're a single, whatever, come and bring your tithe, and I want you to do this. Christy, come here for a second, please. I want you to come like us. Grab my arm, hon. I'm going to put that in. We're going to hold it. Father, thank you in the name of Jesus that you said in your word it belongs to you. And I thank you, the light and the prosperity of your servants. So Christy and I obey you right now, and we ask you to bless this tithe right now in every area of our, li our life. We give it back to you. It belongs to you. Thank you right now. My children and my grandchildren will serve you right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you for revival in my home. Thank you for health, spirit, soul, and body in my house. In Jesus' name, amen.